My friends, uh, we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, is where we are going to start today. And we're, we're going to start with the reading of God's Word, and then we'll get, we're going to get into it. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, and we are going to read through chapter 5, verse 10. So if your body isn't able to make it through the whole thing, feel free to be seated, stand as you are able to, but hear God's Word. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the spirit of faith according to what has been and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may also increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, do we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made from hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please who? Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for him for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I, I need to let you know that you missed you missed the deadline by a few days. You missed the deadline by a few days, and uh, there. Uh, th- this deadline was uh, a really important deadline. It was the deadline for the Yukon Arctic Ultra. All right, sorry, Bob, you missed it. Next year, you know about its registration. But let me tell you about what you missed out on. This is a 300-mile competition. A 300-mile competition considered by some to be the hardest race in the world. You can choose your own transportation. It can be a fat bike, it can be cross-country skis, or it could have been your own feet. You must carry all your own camping and survival gear, food and water in sleds behind you. Temperatures are so cold, they could kill you. And it's dark 14 hours of the day. Most people who start do not finish. And there have been plenty of serious injuries before. There, have been, there has been flesh blackened by frostbite, frozen fingers or skin peeling off of racers like wax, bits of fingers and toes that have been lost to amputation, and even people who have died on the course as they have been running this 300-mile race. 85 athletes signed up last year despite the fact that an Italian runner lost both of his feet and hands to frostbite the year before. So as I listened to this, and sadly I've missed the deadline as well, as I listened to this I have uh, two reactions. One is, are you crazy? Are, are, you, are, are you really that dumb to go into those kinds of extremes? What is it that causes people to willingly subject themselves to that kind of brutality, that kind of hardship? And that's even what I think about when people go to the gym. Why would you do that? Or, or Grace and I, or Isaac, we're, we're driving down the street, and uh, down, down 30, and we see a woman in pouring rain running. And I'm going, why would you subject yourself to that kind of hardship? Are you crazy? But then I have another reaction. The other reaction is life can sometimes feel that brutal. Life is actually the hardest race in the world to to start well and to end well. It's long, it's challenging, it's both full of joys and heartbreak, and and the reality is nobody is going to end it perfectly. And we're not going to end it without any kind of intense suffering. In fact, nobody is going to really get out of it alive unless Jesus comes back to intervene. Life, my friends, if you haven't experienced it yet, you're either naive or or it is yet to come. Life will beat you up. And so we have to ask ourselves, if life is going to beat us up, and it will, how can we survive this world? Because I know 
many of your stories, I know that many of you have emotional, relational, financial baggage. And you're looking at me, some of you through glassy eyes are just like, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to be dealing and unearthing some of the, the stuff in my life. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. Because we have to ask, how is it that we survive in this world? So I'm glad that Scripture gives us answers to that question. So I want us to look at this Scripture this morning, written by the Apostle Paul. And if, you know, if Paul knows anything, he knows what it is like to actually get beat up by life. He was, he was actually beaten, physically beaten up multiple times. On top of that, he was imprisoned. And it wasn't just like these nice kind of posh prisons that we have today. It was hardcore prisons. He was shipwrecked at least four times. And Paul would have been constantly, his body would have been aching because of all that he had endured. So Paul had endured he had dealt with all kinds of pains in his life but on top of that paul was dealing with another kind of pain he was dealing with with the church in second corinthians chapter 11 he said and apart from all from other things there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety my anxiety for all of the churches paul was an anxious man, and that anxiety was causing him deep, deep distress. He faced a number of challenges. He faced all kinds of hardships, and of all of them, this seemed to be for him a climactic burden, a primary burden for him that he carried around day to day. So right now, what I want you to be thinking of, before we go much further, I want you to be thinking is, what is that pain, that burden, that suffering that you are going through right now, that you are experiencing this burden and this pain? Life my friends, we'll beat you up. And some of us are ready to just give up. Hmm? Why should we, knowing that we are going to be beat up in life, not just give up? Especially thinking about that thing that you're suffering and dealing with the burden and the pain that you have. Why not just give up? Paul gives us at least two reasons. And here's the first one. Because God uses your suffering now. In other words, don't give up because your suffering is actually purposeful. There's a reason behind the pain and the suffering that you're experiencing. And, and just notice that Paul begins by helping us understand that life and ministry is going to be filled with suffering. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 to, 7 to 12, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are, we are afflicted in every way. Not crushed, 
perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For, for we who, who live are always being given over to death. We are always being given over to death. Isn't that encouraging? We are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life, but life in you. So the first thing that Paul tells us is that life is going to beat you up. And and, and contrary to what you may think, my friends, you are not strong. You are a jar of clay. You are fragile. My friends, many of us need to get over this idea that we are strong and if I can just push through on my own. I don't need Jesus. I don't need you. I don't need the church. I can do this on my own. But Paul is saying, no, you are a highly fragile container. You are mass-produced. You are ordinary containers that really cannot handle too much dinging around. You are fragile. And we are, my friends, we are fragile and we are ordinary. Even the most impressive around us are extremely fragile. But when life hits us, look what happens. Paul lists four different kind of categories of his life. And before he, before he even gives us the qualification that speak to how God uses these conditions. So he gives us four different kind of conditions. First, we are afflicted. We are afflicted, but we are not restricted. It's kind of this catch-all phrase that he has going, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. He says, listen, this is a summary of all the trials and all the persecutions. And Paul says that all these afflictions have not ended his ministry. He he goes on to kind of say, listen, I perplexed, but not driven to despair. In other words, listen, I'm baffled. I'm baffled by what's going on, but it's not going to lead me to a place of utter despair. I don't get it. I'm perplexed. I'm confused. But Paul says it is not going to lead me to a point of despair. Meaning that Paul has faced times when he has been utterly confused by what God is up to and what, why these things are happening to me. I've been faithful. I've been good. I've been going out on these apostolic missionary journeys, planting churches with the gospel, establishing them. Why God? Why is this going on? But he has never given up. On top of that, Paul has found himself to be persecuted and not forsaken. He has been abused, but he has not ever been abandoned. He's experienced beatings. He's experienced prisons. He experienced riots and slander. But God stood with him in those worst moments as he was going through them. God was there. And lastly, we get this picture that he was struck down. That's that's like getting knocked, punched in the gut, and you are down for the count. But what did it say? Struck down, but not destroyed. 
Why didn't Paul give up? If it was me, I'd be going, church planting is not for me. You really want me to go on these journeys, Jesus? You better be putting me up in a Hyatt every weekend with a security team because this is not what I signed up for. Why was Paul, why didn't he give up? I don't think it was because Paul was naturally optimistic or that he was just naturally persistent. I think it's because Paul realized that his sufferings actually had a purpose in this life. And the thing that keeps me up at night, and I had a conversation with a friend with this, is if the suffering that we're going through is actually worth it. Is this worth it? This pain, this despair, this anxiety, this tiredness, this, this weight that I'm constantly carrying around, is it worth it? And you might be wondering the same thing. Is this worth it? Should I be pushing on, pressing forward, going for the goal? And Paul tells us here that it was worth it. It was worth it because it accomplished a few things. And here's just a few. Verse 7. Verse 7 shows us that God uses your weakness for His glory. Your weakness is a beautiful backdrop to demonstrate the power of God. The sustaining friendship of God in the midst of our pain. On top of that, God uses your suffering to actually advance the gospel. It's funny, don't you think that God, in our North American context, it seems like God would advance the gospel far more through affluence and amazing uh, buildings and stuff like that. But God chooses, in verses 10 and 15, He points out that for it is um, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So in other words, our suffering is a prerequisite, a step forward for the spread of the gospel. When we suffer and when we trust God in the midst of our suffering, something beautiful happens. The gospel can be spread Here's, it mirrors what is called by theologians the cruciform pattern of the gospel. The cruciform pattern of the gospel. In other words, life comes through death. Life comes through death. And we are following the pattern of our crucified Lord, right? It, it, and listen, if you don't suffer, if I don't suffer, no gospel ministry Deep, this is a bold statement to, to put out there. If we don't suffer, gospel ministry doesn't take place. If we don't know how to live in the middle of suffering, gospel ministry doesn't take place. So let me give you a, a very extreme uh, example of this. A daughter of missionaries to the Congo Republic recounted how a little girl, as a little girl, she participated in the 100th anniversary of, anniversary of um, missionaries coming to the Congo Republic. 
So imagine the gathering. This is an opportunity to testify to God's faithfulness over a hundred years. Speeches was given, uh, music was played, and at the end of the day, a very old man came before the crowd to speak. He said that when the missionaries first came to their camp, the people of the Congo Republic thought that they were very odd and that their messages were suspicious. So the tribal leaders seeking to to test out the missionaries slowly poisoned to death the missionaries and their children over a period of months and even years. The children of missionaries died one by one by one. But the missionaries stayed and they proclaimed the gospel even as they died and the old man commented and said this it was as we watched how they died that we decided we wanted to live as Christians that's why Paul says always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our bodies. We're we're called to this kind of cruciform living to reflect that God has always brought life from death just as he did with Jesus. Our only hope is that Jesus has lived and has died for us. So we must be willing to live in the midst of suffering and continually be pointing ourselves and pointing others towards Christ in the midst of our pain, our suffering, our burdens. Spiritual life comes through people who are willing to die, so to speak, so that others may hear the gospel. My friends, that's, that's even when it comes to our finances. I mean, our time. I am willing to die and give up for the sake of the lives of other people around me. I'm willing to give freely and abundantly. I'm willing to give of myself, my pleasures, my joys, so that others may live. And that is part of the pattern of a cruciform life. Your suffering, my friends, has a purpose. On top of that, not only does God use your weakness to show His glory and use your suffering for advancing His gospel, but God uses your suffering to make you holy. You look at verses 16 and 17. They say, we do not, so we do not lose heart. Through, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For For this light momentary affliction is preparing us. It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. This is preparing us for heaven. It's getting us ready. It's it's almost like a, a a line graph with intersecting lines. One line shows our outer physical deterioration 
the longer that we are living this life and we are in ministry for the gospel. We are just deteriorating away. Ministry and life took a toll, a physical toll on Paul, just as it does for us. But Paul says there is another line out there. The line of vibrant, spiritual, internal renewal that is going on. The more that life and ministry takes a toll on us outwardly, the more that God uses all of that to bring us more alive in Christ spiritually. The more that we are dying to ourselves, the more that we are leaning into the suffering and trying not to escape whatever God might be teaching us, the more we are leaning into this, the more God is saying, I, the more you are trusting in me, the more you are coming alive in me. Paul Tripp says this, we forget that God's primary goal is not changing our situations or relationships so that we can be happy. That's not God, God's goal in life. His goal isn't to just make you happy but changing us through our situations and relationships so that we will be whole. God uses your sufferings to make you more like Christ. So why not give up when life beats us up? Because Listen, God uses your sufferings now. He uses it to show His power. He uses it to advance His gospel ministry around our communities, our neighborhoods, our, 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 our friendships, our, our families, and around the world. But He also uses it to make you holy. But that's not the only reason we, we should refuse to give up when life beats us up. There's one more reason. And this is the second reason. Because God will remove your suffering later. I know we are a people of immediate gratification. If I cannot have it now, I am absolutely miserable. Thanks be to God for Amazon Prime, right? If it was only a little bit faster, though. But we live in a world where we desire immediate gratification. To get, we, you know, it's like, dude, I sent you a text message. Why haven't you responded? I sent it like a minute ago. Or that email I sent you yesterday. Why have you not yet responded? Or I left you a, a phone call. Why haven't you responded yet? We want this immediate kind of feeling. But Paul here is saying, listen, the purpose for your, your suffering is going to help you for the later on because God is ultimately going to remove that suffering. And if you know if you really look at this passage, you know that Paul begins to talk about eternity in chapter 4, verse 17. Also, he kind of breaks in and has this, this talk about eternity. And it kind of feels like this kind of rough change, a, a, a shifting of gears that doesn't make sense. Why does Paul go talk from this talk about suffering and pain and persecution and being crushed why does he go talking about that, but then all of a sudden go on talking about our intermediate state and in our, our, in, in eternity? Well, the answer is clear. Paul is not changing topics. Paul is making a point about suffering, and this is his point. His point is, your suffering is worth it. Because our suffering is insignificant, and it is momentary, 
compared to what is coming next. Your suffering is worth it. And my friends, you might not believe it because in the middle of your pain right now, you might feel like this is weighty and it's lasting forever. But the reality is, it is momentary and it is insignificant compared to what is coming down the road. One of the translators looked at verse uh, 17 and said this, For our momentary light bundle of affliction produces for us, in a way both breathtaking and immeasurable, an eternal tonnage of glory. An eternal tonnage of glory. So we got the picture of this is momentary. It's insignificant. It's going to be fleeting. But it's preparing you for something that is weighty and eternal. Tonnage of glory. Everyone in business seems to like to talk about exponential growth. Even in churches, we love to talk about if we could just experience exponential growth. They love talking about the things that we can do that are small, that would lead to disproportionately larger effects. If we would do this, this would lead to these amazing things. Well, Paul gives us something that will lead to exponential growth in our ministries and exponential growth in our lives. What is it? A comparatively small amount of suffering for a short time produces a staggering tonnage of glory. And then he goes on in chapter 5. He talks about the ultimate hope for those who are being beat up in life. And particularly he's talking about in ministry. That although God uses our sufferings, it's normal for us to want them to be over, right? Can I get an amen? I want, I want to be done with this suffering. I want to be done with this pain. I want to be done with this conflict, this, this what's pressing in on both sides. And Paul tells us that they will be over one day. You don't get to dis- decide where on the calendar. Paul tells us that they'll be over. And he says that your sufferings, my friends, your suffering is worth it because one day, Your suffering will be gone forever. Our frail, fallen existence will be gone. It will be over. And the burden of mortality and the burden of life is going to be swallowed up in immortality. In the time and the place where there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. We will be resurrected and we will be transformed. And right now, Paul says, listen, my friends, you can be of good courage. You can be of good courage. We won't give up when life beats up on us because God will soon remove our sufferings and He will give us this eternal tonnage of glory that we've been waiting for someday, waiting for it. Can we be a people who lives in this moment and says, God, what is it that I need to learn? How can you for your glory? How can you use this, Lord, this pain, this suffering, this despair that I have where I feel like I've been knocked in the guts and down on on the ground for the count? How can I use that for advancing your glory? Help me, Lord, to cling to Christ. Help me 
to look to Christ. Help me to trust in Him in faith as I did that first day. Help me long for more of Christ in my heart, my life, my marriage, my friendships, my broken places. Help me to trust in Him. So my friends, do not run away from suffering. That's not a call to just take it left and right. We're not those kind of people. But in the midst of our suffering, our pain, can we be present? Can we have an ear to what God might be saying? Can we lock arms with other brothers and sisters and say, will you walk through this valley of the shadow of death and help me not to fear any evil? Knowing that God is with me, would you remind me of that? Would you provide me those encouraging moments and words? Would you invite me into your space and love me in those moments? Because I so desperately need it. Would we be those people? Because I think in our moments of engaging other people in their pain and their suffering, us being able to mourn with those who mourn, there's something beautiful about the body. The world is going to stand back and go, what is going on here? By doing that, we actually give off the aroma of Christ. For some people, it'll be the smell of death. For other people, it's like, yes, that is beautiful. That is redeeming. And that is powerful. So I want to pray with you. It's a, I want to pray that... Uh, that you will commit to following God no matter what kind of suffering comes because God uses your sufferings and He will remove it later. And uh, some of you might be really tired of suffering. And so I want to pray with you to recommit to and submit to God in your suffering. And not disengage from God. And disengage by his, from His means of grace, the body, the preached word, the prayer together, coming to the Lord's Supper together. So we're going to use a prayer by Blaise Pascal. And uh, this is going to be a prayer, a commitment, and for those of you who are more visually stimulated, you can read it up on the, uh, the, the TVs. Those of you who need to just hear it in your ears, you can close your eyes and listen as I pray this on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, I ask you neither for health nor for sickness, 
for life nor for death, but that you may dispose of my health and my sickness, my life and my death for your glory. You alone know what is expedient for me. You are the sovereign master. Do with me according to your will. Give to me or take away from me. Only conform my will to yours. I know but one thing, Lord, that it is good to follow you and bad to offend you. Apart from that, I know not what is good or bad in anything. I know not which is most profitable for me, health or sickness, wealth or poverty, nor anything else in the world. That discernment is beyond the power of men or angels and is hidden among the secrets of your providence, which I adore, but do not seek to fathom.